Hi everyone, welcome to episode four of Car Culture, and I have a very big guest today. Um, I've got Rob here at Rob G on Instagram, and he bought the Mickey Mantle PSA nine for five point two million dollars back in January, I think it was. Um, Rob, thank you so much for taking the time today. Dude, thanks for having me. It's good Absolutely. to be here. <laughs> how, how how are you feeling? It's the dust has settled. Two, yeah, I feel three months later. How is it? It feels good, man. I'm healthy. It's uh, sunny out, and I got a Mickey Mantle. That's uh, <laughs> that's just going up in value. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. That's brilliant, man. Let's 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 start all the way all the way at the beginning. So I've listened to some of the other interviews you've done, and you're a proper like you're a hustler as a kid, like lemonade stands, all that kind of stuff. But but with cards, you were you were a collector. Well, as a kid, I was a collector, you know, um, I'm still a hustler, by the way, didn't end as a kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a kid, I, I was a collector. And, um, you know, I was young. And um, that was the thing to do. And, and then I, I got out of the hobby and, you know, chased work and school and, you know, all those kind of things. And then I jumped back into it in August of uh, 2020. So that's when I got back in. And at that yeah. point I got in initially for like, you know, Hey, I saw the market booming and, um, and some friends got into it. And then I jumped in, you know, thinking that maybe these things are going to go up in value and it's a new diversified asset class, but then also, um, as a collector, you know, it became that, and, um, as you get these things in your hand and you start to look at them and, and realize what they are, you know, a piece of history and just enjoy the collecting aspect of it. I, you know, I became, I became a collector. What I think one thing that people are really curious about is what is the high-end collector like? So, so last week I had um, Nick Swimmer on, who who was the founder of Zappos, and he's a he's a true true collector. So he he loves his modern stuff. He loves his soccer, and he just buys all the modern stars and doesn't really care too much about value. Just just enjoys having them as pieces. Um, so when, when you were getting introduced to it back in August, how, how was that dynamic? Yeah. I mean, you know, I wasn't the collector at that point in August, you know, I was buying it, you know, I was buying iconic cards thinking that, you know, I was thinking of it as, as a piece of, of art and that these things are going to go up. And then I became the, the collector of just buying cool things that I thought were incredible. And, and I want to have that were rare. And, um, but I think for me, initially I started from an investment standpoint and then it pivoted into, you know, just own great stuff that you love. And with that, and then obviously it, you started with the, the mantle, you started with a PSA five, six. Well, I started with a bunch of other things. So I was buying up, you know, anything I could buy. I mean, I was, I went in hard and fast and was just buying everything and then I then you know my mom sent me all my old cards and I uh, was going through them and one of the cards in my old collection you know it was all junk really I mean nothing was great in there and one of them in, in the biggest glass case the screw down cases was a um a 52 tops Mickey Mantle and it was a reprint of course um but you know then I remembered you know, what was the iconic card for me back then? What was the Holy Grail, even as a kid? 
And uh, for me to put a reprint in a, uh, in a glass case, you know, that was, you know, that was even cool to have a reprint, you know? So then I, you know, then I switched and said, well, why am I buying all this stuff? That's, you know, that really means nothing to me. Let's start buying the things that as a kid, I always wanted, but couldn't afford. And that's when I bought my first mantle or start, you know, I started the process of, of hunting for it. So when so I bought a, a four, I think originally, I think a four is a lot of value. Even today, you know, a four hasn't jumped like the eights or the seven, you know, the sevens or whatever. I think the four still has a lot of value, but I bought a, um, you know, I think it's still the same price before my new, you know, when I bought the nine, it kind of spiked the prices of the mantles, but, but the fours haven't really, I haven't seen them spike to be honest. But so I bought a four, I bought a five, I bought a six, I bought an eight, and then I bought the nine. What, I was, what are you nervous? Because something we talk about a lot, and this is, this is the, the average collector, is when we see all-time high set, we celebrate them, right? We're excited. And if you go into Facebook groups, if you go into eBay, no one wants to buy things at all-time highs because they get scared right? They want to pay below eBay comps. They want to try get a deal. So how was your th thought process basically in spending, you know, that much money more than anyone's ever spent before on a card? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you want to make sure that, you know, your rationale is correct, right? On any card you buy. And then sometimes you just buy because like you mentioned before that you just want it. Like, you know, I wanted the 1986, clear sticker Michael Jordan PSA 10. I had a bunch of nines. I wanted the 10. They weren't coming up for sale a lot. I wanted an auction for 35 grand. And, you know, this eBay seller didn't ship it. So I got emotional and it, another one went for auction. I paid $200,000 for it. Did I overpay by a lot? Yeah, but I wanted the card. So certain things you're just like, hey, I want the card, you know, I want to just have it in my collection. There's only a hundred of those cards. I want to make sure I have one. I don't care what I spend. I'm just going to buy it. Uh, and then there's things that you, you know, you definitely want to make sure you put, you know, due diligence into it. And uh, with the mantle, I definitely put due diligence and want to make sure that I wasn't overpaying. And if you look at the same time period, you know, other cards, other less iconic cards, you know, they were 10xing, 20xing, 30xing um, from a year, two years, three years. And so the mantle card was kind of just, you know, it, it wasn't in the news. People kind of were chasing the new toy, the new, you know, hot thing. And they kind of, they weren't really chasing the most iconic card in the hobby. Um, the, you know, the Mona Lisa of sports cards is, is this 1952 Mickey Mantle. So they kind of weren't really chasing. And that, that card has been consistently going up. But gradually, and, and with this new boom in the sports card market, that particular card was still going up um, like an Apple stock, but it, it never really boomed like all the other iconic cards. And so that's where I thought it was a, a glitch in the system and uh, it was undervalued. And so for me to buy a very, very, very rare um, card for a 2X, I think made a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's it's one of those cards that's that stood the test of time, right? It's always had value. It's always been oh. desirable and wanted. So you you have that extra confidence that you know I'm spending. So the the mantle's obviously 
always been been desired. I actually remember I was I was watching Prison Break not too long ago, which came out in like 2004, 2005, and someone got arrest uh, thrown in jail for grand larceny for stealing a mantle card because it was worth 300 grand and they thought it was just a you know a few thousand dollars. So it's it's one of those those cards that's clearly stood the test of time, and so you feel yeah. a bit uh, more secure in in putting that amount of money into it in in a similar way you would if it was you know like property um or something like that i think yeah i mean you know i look at going would you spend that kind of money on a on a new person that's that's currently playing that could get hurt or say something stupid or do something illegal and that value goes to nothing um it's just like saying would you put all that money into a new artist um or an artist that had that stood the test of time and has gone up consistently you know, sales and sales and sales every single year for the last 50 years. Personally, on, a, on an investment of that size, I'm more of a conservative investor. So I'm going to put it in a, a time-tested artist uh, more so than, a, you know, somebody that could hit but could be just a fly-by-night thing. So, yeah, I, I think the mantle makes um, made the best sense for me. And like I said, I think it was, underval it, it was undervalued for sure because to buy it for, you know, a 2x um was was a steal and if you look at now you know eights are are going for about two two million there's 35 eights and you know even at if michael jordan there's 30 or there's 315 of them selling for whatever 500 to 700 thousand i still think the eights at two million is a pretty damn good deal mm. but if the eights are worth two million now when at the time when i bought them for 5.2 they were 400 you know, that 5.2 number is, is still extremely cheap. You know, that's now, shoot, I don't know, 20 million. <laughs> I mean, the, the numbers, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a rock solid card. And I think it just, um, it's a piece of art. I mean, you know, I looked at the Honus Wagner card. First of all, nobody knows unless you're a massive collector who Honus Wagner is or about that card, you know, unless you're a big card collector. And I looked at those cards and they just weren't pretty. And I looked at the mantle and it's just, you know, a beautiful card, especially this in such pristine condition and the colors. And it's something I could put on my wall and enjoy. Whereas putting a, a beat up Honus Wagner on your wall, like who's going to enjoy that? Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the card made total sense in a lot of, a lot of ways. Yeah. Something interesting that I just thought when I was, I was looking at uh, your like business history is that, you know, you, you start a business or go into a business, build it up really quickly and then exit. And with your investment approach, it seems to be kind of the opposite. You want something safe, something stable and something you, almost like a sure thing because is, is that just because, you know, you, you don't have full control of, of the sports card market in the same way you would, you know, if you're running your own business. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I look at business as my, you know, moonshot, that's where I make a lot of my money. And then I look at this kind of stuff as, you know, a diversified asset class of just safety. You know, I'm, I'm not a card flipper. I'm not, that's not my industry. I'm not a car dealer, you know? And, and like you said, I don't have control. You know, I don't know when the prices are gonna skyrocket or tank and I can't control that. I can control a business to where I know that if I need more sales, I just need to work harder. I need to either hire a bigger team or I need to go out and, and get dirty myself and make it happen. So, you know, I have complete control of a business and it's just about how much I am able to work and, and uh, how smart I'm able to work in cards. You're right. I can't, I don't know the market. I can't control it. So yeah, I, I like consistent. I like the safety play 
you know, I think that, you know, Michael Jordan is an icon. I think Mickey Mantle is an icon. Those, you know, things are always going to go up because um, people are always going to want them. Supply and demand. If, there, if there's going to be demand somewhere, I want to be there. Have have you taken the plunge and, and gotten so with, with this this kind of market i think all the the higher end the expensive even the numbered modern cards generally are undervalued because there's always a lag between you know the base say the base lucas rising and, and the numbered ones right so have you have you diversified or gambled or or felt like collecting any any modern players uh some i mean i definitely have a diversified portfolio but um not in a big way. I'm mostly um, mostly vintage. So there's there's no one like you're excited about from that standpoint. Um, from an NBA point, you know, I mean, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of um, you know current players, but you know, I think there's a lot of great players, but no, not nothing that I'm like, you know, five million bucks involved in. Yeah. But, you know, I, I like to root for people that I think, you know, I, I like. So, no, no, nothing huge in the modern code right now. I mean, maybe Tatum, because, you know, I think he's a great guy or, you know, uh, you know, not, nothing, nothing huge in a big, I'm, I'm mostly vintage. Yeah. That's for sure. So have you looked, so in one, one interview that I did, you, you made a passing comment about soccer. Um, and that is all I do. I'm, I'm in the UK and that's ev everything I've, I've grown up with. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious, what, what soccer cards do you have, if, if any? Um, I actually, I just have, um, you know, I bought a case of uh, Panini Select um, from 2016 because of uh, Christian Pulsic. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that there'd be some uh, Pulsic cards in there. But, you know, I've got a couple... Um, Leon and and I've got a one Ronaldo 2002, but again, super light on soccer. Where where do you see the, the hobby evolving? Sort of, I'm, I mean, it's probably difficult for you to to, to answer this, but out it's a very American thing, right? Collecting cards, and it's it always has. Yeah. Been. Oh, I think we're starting to see an international expansion of this, with with the internet being one of the the biggest facilitators of that um how do you see it impacting other sports like you know even even into pokemon and things like that yeah i mean i think what what's going on right now is people are listening to all these um these pumpers you know so they're like oh my you know they're trying to buy things before everybody else and they try to pump it so they're like oh buy buy tennis and buy pokemon and buy you know it's i think you know that's the, I think those kind of collectors are here today, gone tomorrow. I think they're going to chase whatever the, the next thing is. Um, and I think the people that pump it are, are making great money doing it, you know, by wrestling. I mean, by this. And I mean, it's just, when does it stop? Are we going to start collecting like bowling cards next? And, you know, badminton, like when, when does it stop? So, you know, I think, um, you know, I collect the things that I liked as a kid and I like now and and um, and I, I I think it's great for the the hobby that people keep collecting. But again, with everything, you know, I think you get hurt when you when you lose focus. And me, 
you know, I've learned that over the years in a lot of different ways. And, you know, if you kind of expand too much, then um, it's not, you're not going to get as much growth if you just stay focused. But you should buy what you love. If you love soccer, then buy it. If you love tennis and you love watching tennis, buy it. But I don't know many people that watch tennis. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true. And it is something to, to consider. I think it's slightly different if you're going for, like, you know, the, if you're going the vintage route, if you're going the, the GOAT route, Federer, Nadal, yeah, okay, people aren't really collecting their cards, but it's probably safer than buying a, a, a tennis rookie or something like that. Um, if we're talking about the, the hobby and the state of the hobby, which is obviously healthier than it's ever been, one thing that I find really interesting is when you're buying cars like this, do you have like an exit in mind? Is it selling it to a like rally for fractionization? Is it something that you're going to hold on to forever? Is it like a pension fund? Like when you made the purchase, what was running through your mind? I'm sorry, brother. The internet um, is seems to be unstable. Say it one more time. You said, "Am I here to buy it for the short term or for the long term?" No, I, I was just I was just asking, what is the long term plan? Like you have all these fractionization companies now, right? Like Rally and yeah. um, Collectible. What what do you see as a viable exit, really, on that card? And and when, if if there's any kind of estimation, when you would kind of think of of, of selling it. Uh, you know, that same week I got offered 8 million for it. I said, no, um, you know, I'm not looking to exit it, to be honest, you know, I'm looking to, uh, to keep it in, uh, you know, I have no exit plans. You know, I think fractional ownership companies are a great way to exit if you want to exit, but, um, yeah, I'm good. I want to keep it for right now. I mean, who knows, but for right now I'm good. <laughs> That's, that's brilliant. I think that the fractional thing is really interesting for, for these big, big pieces, because I think then it does let everyone sort of take part in, in owning something really, really cool and iconic like that. Yeah. Or, or maybe an NFT of the, of the card. Yeah. So this is, this is actually where I wanted to go next. Um, this is all what we're seeing um, in the headlines at the moment, right? $70 million. And you're obviously um, big in, in the art collecting world yourself. So how, how is NFTs, is that something you're looking at actively? Is that something you're looking in place of cards or in place of physical art? Like how, how are you seeing that as someone who's been in the art world and the sports card world for, for, for a while now? It's an interesting space. Um, you know, I've definitely got a portfolio of, of NFT art. Um, I do. And I have a portfolio of NFT Top Shot. Um, so, you know, I think it's interesting following it closely and, um, and definitely, yeah, I have been buying the art and, and, uh, and diving in in a, in a deep way. So we'll kind of see what happens there, but um, it's, it's, a, it's a cool time to be alive. That's for sure. I mean, I'll always buy the physical thing too, you know, um, but, you know, it's, it's an interesting, interesting space do you think then that panini blockchain or tops i think tops is digital i, I can't remember what their name is but those kind of cards could be one avenue to, to go down in the future for collecting um yeah i mean they're already doing it right with um but this is this is the scary thing so if kids um, so, you know, what happened with me was I collected as a kid, 
didn't have the money. I came back when I was older, when I had money and bought all the things that I always wanted. So if kids pivot and they start collecting only the digital NFT version, then they, they, they let's say they put the hobby down, they have this collection, but they put the hobby down, they come back 30 years later when they're, um, when they have money. Well, they're never going to pick up a card because they don't even know what a card is. They only collected the, the virtual side. So does that mean that cards in general go by the wayside or is technology showed so different in 30 years that all their digital collection is now obsolete? It's like buying a VHS tape and now you're on DVDs or Blu-rays or digital. So, you know, do they lose their whole collection? You know, that's something that I think, you know, I'd be concerned about. So I think the physical card is always great, but to add, you know, some fun in, in the NFT space, I think is, is fun for, for right now as well. But you just got to be careful. Yeah, that's that's really, I actually haven't heard anyone speak about it that way, where, you know, the, the tech, everyone talks about NFTs and Topshop being the future. But what if it, what if, you know, it, it evolves too slowly? And it can't keep up with with the developments. That's that's a really really interesting insight there. Um, I just just before we did this actually, I just saw your comment on um, Slabstocks's post with the the Prism first off the line, which sold out at I think two thousand dollars. It hit the floor, which is unprecedented from from recent releases. Um, and people have been paying I think twenty five hundred for the regular hover boxes as it is, which is ridiculous. Um, and this whole notion of you know a junk wax era coming in again. I just, I just want to hear your take on that. Well, I mean, you know, history will always repeat itself if you do the same thing that happened. And, you know, what happened in the 80s and 90s was there was a boom, just like there is now. And the car companies got greedy and they started overproducing. And, uh, and like they're doing now, I mean, Zion Williamson, there's 1,300 variations of his rookie card. Hmm. That's insane. That's not the cards. That's the variations of the card. So... I mean, you know, it just seems like history is repeating itself. The card companies are like, holy crap, can't be people are buying. Let's just overproduce and then let's jack up the prices so kids can't buy. And therefore, and then, you know, when you go to stores, these, these older people are buying up the cards in massive amounts so the kids can't buy them. And then you lose the kids. And then in 30 years, they're not going to, there's no, there's no one to come back to the hobby. Um, you've got to keep the young people involved now so there's gonna so there'll be people in 30 years that come back um so i you know i just think that you get financial ceos running companies and uh and they don't think about the longevity of the hobby or, or at their business and, and they could really do some damage you know for quick quick gains and quick uh quick bucks they they can really destroy the business for the long run so as a successful entrepreneur, if you're sitting there as the CEO of um, Tops or Panini, what, what is your advice to them? What, what would your solution be to the problem that we have right now? It depends what I bought the business for. Did I buy the business to flip it in, in three years like I sometimes do? Then, then yeah, I, I would be doing the same strategy they're doing because I bought it to grow the numbers, grow the profit and sell. But if I bought it for a business that I want to hold for 50 years or 30 years and, and care about the industry, then I, I would do, you know, I would make sure that it's done a different way, but you know, we're a very fast society. No one thinks about the longevity of a business and um, you just think about the profits and revenue. So yeah, I get it. If I, if I bought the business, I'd probably do the same thing. 
because you know I'm I'm looking at it from a business standpoint and not from a collecting standpoint. But you've got to get in, get an out, get in and out fast because if not, you you know you kind of hurt the entire business. So depends on my strategy, I guess. You know, if, if I was a long term um, CEO or a short term flip. Yeah, I think one of the things that we have over here, which I don't know if they, they have in America, but we have these packets called match attacks, which are basically you go into a little news agents and they're, dot, they're one pound packs and they're super, super mass produced. And as a seven, eight year old, that's what everyone does. Uh, they all fill up their binders. And then as you, you, well, you get to my age and then you're sort of looking, well, maybe I can make some, maybe there's some opportunity in Topps Chrome and I can collect higher end of the players I like. And I feel like, with basketball and baseball, you're maybe missing that like dollar pack product, which would which would help get a lot of people in and actually is the thing that adults would leave alone because it's it hasn't got that value. I agree. I think that's a great idea. So what would what would your advice be? Now I, I want to think of this differently. So you are very, very vintage, you're very safe. Um, and that's primarily I think because of this is not a full-time uh pursuit for you and this is this is a hobby and it's your collection if you were say in my position where you're 20 years old and you go back to being that hustler kid and you are doing modern because essentially you're day trading right you're you're betting on performances what advice do you have to basically me and the other people out there watching this who are like me who are trying to to basically start what is their first business Um, well, hmm. so I would say I, that's where I would see the appeal in NBA top shot because there's no shipping. You can buy and sell fast. Um, there's no, you can't ship it to somebody and then scam you and say, Hey, did it come or it's damaged. So if I was day trading, I would think that that's a sexier option. That's where I do see where NFTs and, and Top Shot and things are becoming sexy. Um, if you're going to stick in cards, you know, I would say, um, you know, you've just got to be, you've got to be uh, on sale when the guy has a great game uh, or, you know, look for things that will spike the news of that person, um, you know, like Tiger Woods, 2001 rookie, vintage, iconic. He's he's changed the game, um, but he'll probably you know have some announcements soon. I think his card, that 2001, which is you know not so rare, but I think it's still an iconic card. I think that's a probably a good card to pick up that I think will will go up. Um, because why is why is Tiger Woods' rookie less than you know a Tyler Hero when T Tiger is such an you know iconic figure? Um, so I, I would still look for iconic, but guys that can maybe have news soon or something that's going to happen. Yeah, um, so, yeah, iconic but modern cultural relevance essentially and and affordable, kind of. Yeah. You know, that card, I don't know what that card's going for now, maybe a thousand bucks or less, um, which I think is a great deal on that card. You know, that's such a, it's his rookie. I mean, Tiger Woods is rookie. It's like getting a Michael Jordan rookie. Um, but, you know, I, the flip game, uh, I, that's just not my game. You know, I, you could, 
I would say wax. Wax is pretty safe. You know, don't open it. Um, hard flip with these box breaks, you know, destroying, you know, opening up all the boxes and things. I think that becomes safe. Um, you know, you've got something that you can then sell to those box breakers or something in, in a year. But you're right. You're not going to get your your penny stock. Um, I don't know. Uh, um, I'm not the right guy for the for the quick flip. I would just say, you know, buy who you think is incredible, and um, who I think you know who you think was going to do well, and and then be ready to sell when when the fire hits and that guy does well. Be be have it online and, and ready to sell. Yeah, no, that's 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 good advice. I think people need to hear that because often they miss that peak and then they're left holding the card when, you know, it's the end of the season or the player's injured or they get knocked out of the the, the championship or the finals and then they got to wait eight, nine months for the hype to come back and they've been holding onto that card for way, way too long at that point. Um, so just just before we wrap up, like where the mantle's in a vault right now? Yeah. It's not, it's not in your, your house. Uh, so it's is that something that you're going to really push to do or is is it just something that's a bit bit scary uh you know the problem is that card you know it's 55 1955 so i've got to figure it out from um in, you know from an insurance standpoint from a safety standpoint but also you know does the uv light does the humidity of where i live does that all affect the card because you don't want to hang a card up on the wall for 10 years and then you know, and then it becomes a, an eight versus a nine. It's still in the case, but it's, uh, you know, so yeah. right now it's, it's I got a lot going on um, as far as business goes. So I haven't really had time to figure out what to do, you know, how to display it in the, in the right manner. But for right now it's, it's comfortable in the vault and, and, um, and it'll be there until I'm ready to take some time and figure out how to put it on the wall. Amazing, amazing. Guys, go follow Rob on Instagram, at Rob G. Um, keep up with what he's doing. It's really cool stuff with Dope. Um, and thanks for tuning in. Um, we'll catch you in the next one.